Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller, and welcome to The Forever Student. Our next guest is one of India's most well-known clinical hypnotherapists and has trained over 1,500 individuals worldwide to qualify as a hypnotherapist. He's considered amongst the most dynamic and motivational speakers and has an unwavering vision to integrate holistic health with scientific backing. He's hosted workshops all across the world and has changed the lives of many people. We are so grateful to have him here today. Yuvraj Kapadia, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir, for your time and for the invite. It's a pleasure and it's an honor both. So the first thing I want to do is really get into how you got into this field. We just spoke before the episode and you kind of blew my mind. So I kind of want to deep dive back into that again. You know, I feel uh, life always gives us opportunities which come disguised in very strange ways. And invariably, the illogical opportunities are the ones that somehow sometimes get you the best results. So strange as this may sound for all the good things that you spoke about me, I don't have a formal background in education to begin with in this field. So neither am I a psychologist, nor am I a psychiatrist. Um, I've been a graduate of uh, microbiology with uh, a degree in finance. I spent the better part of my earning years being a stockbroker, a stock advisor. And then uh, life has a strange way of bringing you where it wants you to go. I'm a big believer in life as a process that's bigger than us. It's like a river that is flowing. How you swim in it is your choice, but the river will flow either way. So life happens. And about, I would say, what, 25 years back, I lost a lot of money irrationally, to which I had no logical answer in the markets. And uh, I was also born with a congenital heart condition. So two issues that seemingly had no logical answers. I broke my head, searched heaven and hell to find solutions to both. Didn't find any answer in uh, the logical realm. And about 15 years back, a friend suggested that it's, it might be time to look at uh, some inner questioning, do some inner work, as they now call it in mm -hmm. the new jargon. So why don't you try meditation? Well, I hadn't come from any meditative background as such, but I took that advice seriously. I think I took it seriously because I had no choice. You know, when you have no choice, you, it's, every advice becomes something you want to follow up on. So I attended a program that had a meditative base to it. And then I went through what remains a turning point in my life. I started to go back in time on my own with a voice in my head, probably guiding me through it. You can call it your inner voice or whatever you want to say. I went through, into inverted commas, 13 different lives I'd had on this planet that gave me a logical sequence to where I was right now in my life. And I, that went on for about two hours, two and a half hours. And then when I came out, there was a very clear thing in my head that my heart was fine and I wouldn't need medication later. I got it medically checked and that was true. So I have medical evidence of the before and after, which is very bizarre because it's not something you can sort out with a surgery or with anything else. And even better, all the financial problems that my gold medal in uh, finance could not sort out almost seemed to vaporize into thin air on their own, which made me realize a huge factor, a huge facet of life, which was the fact that everything that's happening outside of me is somehow linked to what's happening inside of me. So the real story is inside of me. I keep looking for things outside, but 
but the key is inside. So, and that was a big revelation. That revelation led to a deeper feeling that I will have a role to play in the spreading of this awareness in the world. How and why, I have no idea because I'm not from this background. So again, the same sense, you don't have to seek it out. Just relax. Your teacher will appear in your universe. And a year later, my teacher, Dr. Sunny Satin from the USA, came to India with hypnotherapy as a subject. I signed up almost immediately because I was beginning by now to see the dots. Um, I finished his curriculum. I started practice. The rest is history. So How did you... Okay, so fascinating story, firstly. Could you explain to the listeners and to myself what hypnotherapy is and kind of what uh, benefits it has for uh, for people and for your clients? Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's look at you right now. Mm. You're speaking to me. I'm answering your questions. Even right now, as I'm talking to you, you're nodding your head. Now, that nod is a choice you're making. You could completely choose not to nod your head at all or even make those assertions of, mm. right. So, like this word, right. Yeah. This is a choice you're making, right? So, there are many things that you are willfully choosing on a moment-to-moment basis. But right now, if I were to ask you, champ, slow down your heartbeat. Or, why don't you just alter your blood pressure? Or, can you change the speed at which your food is getting digested in the body? The answer to all these will be a resounding no. Now, this is strange because as humans, we consider ourselves as the epitome on top of the evolutionary chain on earth. We are supposed to be the most evolved species on earth. And yet, there is nothing about our body that we can willfully control. So all our control is only in the actions of things that really have nothing much to do with our body, including hunger. You can't control your hunger. Yes, you can control not to eat, but you really can't control your thirst. You can't control your hunger. So your entire body is controlled by something that's bigger than your own conscious will. Okay. That's straightforward. It's logical. And this larger area is what, in our parlance, we refer to as the subconscious space or the subconscious mind. So you have a conscious mind with which you think, feel, logic, analyze, talk, and decide. That's about 10% of your mind. The balance 90% is this huge, massive database of the subconscious, which not only controls your body, not only controls your life, because your breathing is controlled by that, but that also serves as the custodian of the database of all your experiences. So what you technically call as your memory is right out there. It's in that subconscious zone. Hypnotherapy is simply the art of accessing that database. So when we go into a hypnotic trance, what we're looking to do is assist people in going into the deeper zone of their own database to figure out where has a virus entered the system that's causing chaos today. For us, all viruses come through time. In the current moment, there is no problem. Like just to give you a very simple example of this, let's assume you and I don't know each other at all. We've never met. We're walking on the road, we cross each other. What's the probability of an interaction happening between you and me. We've never met. Extremely low. Extremely low. Correct? Okay. Now we're meeting. This is a formal meet. Let's assume this is a pleasant meet. 
which means this show goes well. We're very happy with each other. And tomorrow, I run into you at Dubai Mall or I see you on the road. What's going to happen? We're going to say hi to each other. Why? Because we've interacted before and it was a pleasant experience. Before. Perfect. Perfect. You get this? Yeah. Now, let's say this experience is a disaster. Yeah. We land up getting into maybe an argument. I walk out of the show. Yeah. Now, we meet in Dubai Mall. There's nothing wrong between us in Dubai Mall. What will happen? We'll ignore each other. Why? Because we've had a bad experience. Perfect. This is the root underlying theme of human behavior. So our behavior is never, ever governed by what's happening in the moment. It is always governed by something that is getting triggered in that database of ours. Now, is the drift of hypnotherapy getting clear? Absolutely. So, for example, you get a person saying, when I see my boss, I get cold feet and I choke and I can't speak. Now, there's nothing wrong with the boss at that moment. But what's happening is, when this person is seeing the eyes of the boss, those eyes are reminding him of his father. When he was a kid and the father would use the staring down as a processor, you haven't done your homework. And I stare at you. Now, when I see the boss today, what gets triggered inside me is that child. And now I freeze. So what do I do? I simply use hypnotherapy to say, oh, chill. You're 30 now. You have a gold medal. Yeah? Let's go back and find that child out there. That child is in your subconscious mind. Then, of course, there are therapeutic interventions that we do. We make the child grow up. So the next day, you go back to the office. The boss stares at you and you're coming. Maybe he had a bad day. His wife gave him a tough time. Nothing to do with me. I'm okay. End of the story. Therapy done. Behavior changes. And what kind of techniques do you use to access this subconscious? Okay. So there are a variety of techniques that can be done. To put it into something, since you and I have had a long discussion on meditation and you practice meditation, both meditation and hypnotherapy use the same swimming pool of the subconscious mind. The difference in the two states is, do you know swimming? Do you swim? Kind of. Kind of. Okay, so you're familiar yeah. with swimming. Let's assume you're getting into the pool from the side of the pool. You know, you make a small dive. Versus climbing up a diving board and jumping in. What's the difference between the two states? The difference between the two states. I think when you're diving from up above, uh, there's more fear, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're diving from just outside the pool, mm -hmm. it isn't. Normally, if people had a fear, they won't go up the diving board. Right. So people who go up the diving board go because it helps them to go much deeper. Okay. So if your diving board is 10 feet tall, when you jump in, you will go 10 feet deep. Meditation is jumping into the subconscious mind from the side of the pool. Okay. Okay. Hypnotherapy is jumping into the subconscious mind from the diving board. The deep end. The deep end. Precisely. Okay. There is otherwise no difference between the two states. And so how do you then, with your clients, what kind of... Techniques do we use? Yeah. So those techniques can be overloading the conscious mind. Those techniques can be conversational. Like I can just casually talk to you across the table and slowly take you back in time. There are a variety of techniques to do that. Mm. We, that. And that's what I teach people to do. I teach people how to get into that state through a scientific protocol. 
we map it through the body. So for example, if I had to do a session with you, right now, you're conscious, you're awake, your body is also functioning. So both your minds are working well. When you go to sleep in the night, your conscious mind will go to sleep, which means I can't access your senses. But your subconscious mind is awake because your heartbeat goes on, your peristaltic movement goes on. Hypnosis is the third state of awareness in which your body goes to sleep, but your mind is awake. Okay. okay. Once I get your body to sleep, it means I have access to the database. But I keep you consciously awake so you are aware of where I am taking you. It's, uh, you know, everybody gets hypnotized at least twice a day, naturally. When you're about to go to sleep and when you are about to wake up. So you find this short period where a part of you is awake, but you're not fully out there. That's the hypnotic state. And I will do it on a sofa. So I'll get you into a state where your body is sleeping. You can't open your eyes, but you are fully conscious. You're fully awake. You can talk to me. You can listen to me. And that's how I take you back in time. Because now we're going into that huge swimming pool where all your experiences are stored. Whether they are of this lifetime, they are of other lifetimes. And you get your clarity. So technically, actually, I'm not sorting you out. I'm simply creating a safe space in which you sort yourself out. Because the problem is with you, but the solution is also only with you. You know yourself best. I don't know you. But I can create a space in which you can get to what do you have to do. You steer it, essentially. I steer it, yes. What kind of people come to you? Well, we work with uh, people who have physical issues, for example. So everywhere where the doctors say, we don't know what to do. Or the doctors give you medicines to handle it, but not cure it. So a lot of these chronic disorders, the diabetes, the high blood pressures, the cancers. So the medicine world has great value in acute situations. Like if you have a heart attack, you must go to the hospital. But medicine itself understands its limitations. It's not the answer to everything. So for all those physical issues to which medicine stops a little short, saying, look, I don't know where this is coming from. You can try this. It'll help you with it. All those cases come to us. Yeah unexplained aches and pains, congenital disorders that people are born with, they come to us, emotional issues, huge relationship issues, um, mental issues, fears, phobias, spiritual issues. Because our focus is working with the human mind and on earth, the way the earth school runs currently, the human mind is the driving computer that determines everything about you. So there's really nothing that's outside the purview of hypnotherapy. And what would you say to, because I, I think there's a lot of people who want misunderstand what hypnotherapy is yes. and might feel um, sort of a resistance or are kind of, you know, against coming in, are comfortable at coming in and seeing you. Like what kind of advice would you give to these people? That's a very nice question. In fact, it takes me back to when I studied the science 15 years ago. In those days, hypnotherapy had uh, not very pleasant connotations. So even to my good friends, if I said, I've done a course in hypnotherapy, the next thing you saw was they don't want to see you in the eyes. They will want to look away and ask you, yeah, so how are you now? <laughs> because there is this insane fear 
to do with the fact that now this guy will control my mind. Yeah. It's a very rational and logical fear because hypnotherapy has two sides to it. There is a side which you can call a little dark where somebody who knows how to use the dark side can access your mind and make you do things you don't want to do. This is from where the whole mesmerism comes in, uh, the whole genre of he did something to me and took away my watch or took away my wallet. Your whole stage shows with magic and hypnosis happen with that where a magician gets you on stage, does something to you and then you're dancing like a monkey. Mm. That's beyond your control. So that's a different brand altogether. It's Eastern hypnosis where a person can override your will and make you do things against your control. This is the prime reason for the fear. The fear of being misused, the fear of being exploited. We follow the Western protocol, which looks at it as a medical science, as a science that deals with healthcare. So when I got into it, my focus was also very clear. I specialize in healthcare management through the mind. And in what we do, I cannot override your willpower. So I will only work with you if you wish for me to take you there. Mm. So I cannot and will not hypnotize people against their will. So if you're coming to me, it's very clear you wish to go there. Besides that, in that state, if you feel uncomfortable and you want to come out, you can. So it's not as if you're going to go into a state of no return from where you have no control. So that's the basic difference in the two approaches. It's like, let's say you were meditating. You can always come out of your meditation on your own. Now, let's say you're doing a guided meditation, but you can still come out on your own. That's where we are. Okay, it's similar. Very. And um, the other thing I wanted to talk about besides hypnotherapy is, is regressions. Yes. And I feel this is a, an, another topic where, where there's a lot of um, kind of misunderstanding or not necessarily good education around. Could you explain to us firstly what it is once again and then maybe take us through how you practice sure. it? Sure. The term regression simply means going back in time. Now, let me give you a fairly simple model on how this works. Uh, how old are you? 29. 29. Which part of you is 29? Which part of me is 29? Yes. That's a very good question. I mean, I want to say my mind and my body. Body is 29. Beyond doubt. Yeah. Okay. So normally when we speak of our age, it's a reference to our body. For this body, which is the hardware of our computer, time is only here and now. So no matter how hard you try, your body at this junction cannot become five. Carbon dating will not allow that to happen. Even if you use antioxidants, anti-aging creams, your body is 29. It's not going to become 40 today. Yeah, That's the hardware of your system. But this hardware is formatted to a software called the mind. And for this mind, time is very real. There is a definite past, there is the present, and there is the future. Now, at this junction, if your mind running your body is also 29, which is what you wanted to tell me, then you are in a beautiful, integrated, adult, conscious state you will have no issues in life. Because your software and your hardware are in alignment with each other. Which now brings us to the next part of the story. Any issue in your life, physical, 
emotional, mental, spiritual, financial, simply means that the software in that area is not in alignment with the hardware. So then the question is, which mind is it? And then what you find is, it's either the mind of a younger part of you. For example, as a child, you grew up with your father telling you money is very important, conserve it well and don't spend it flippantly. Just to give you an example. So you grow up with that truth. It's very important, conserve it well, don't spend it flippantly. You're an A student. You get a fantastic job, you get a 10 eight-figure salary, you get an amazing girlfriend in your life, and yet you can't spend the money. Because that part and that drives your girlfriend nuts because she sees you got you got everything. What's your freaking problem? But the problem is that when I see the green dollar bill, the child says, No, dad has said don't spend it. Now you have a problem. You get it? So the mind in that area is getting hijacked by a different mind of a different time. Now you extend this argument to another life and then you have past life regression coming up. So regression can also mean simply going back in your current life and nearly, I would say, 60 to 70% of our issues come from there. They come from erroneous conclusions that we've made in the formative years of our lives, which we make as children. And the price of those conclusions is paid by us as adults, which we don't realize. And then how do you, because I, I get the part of kind of accessing what's happening in the current life or what's happened in the current life. That's right. Um, how do you, with a client, then start addressing what the past lives? and Correct. So when they're going back there, when images or impressions come to them, which don't feel or look like anything from their current life. But the feelings are real. They feel it in their body. So for example, in a past life, a person has lost his father at a young age. And that is the root source of the insecurity he feels now. So now every time the father goes for a checkup to the hospital, he starts to get palpitations himself, as if something huge is going to happen. Because what's got activated is the loss of a father in a different life at a young age, and after that, his life went through shit. So that fear is there. So when you take a person back in time to the source of that fear, he sees a child that doesn't look like him. He sees a father that's not like his father, but his heart anxiety is very real. He feels it in the body. So that means I am now experiencing an emotion that's not coming from the logical framework of my current memory. So it's obviously coming from a different memory. A lot of people ask me, how do we know past life regressions are for real? Like I'm not making it up. Yeah. Or I'm not imagining it. And my honest answer is, as a therapist, it doesn't matter to me, even if you make it up fully. Because my concern is your heartbeat. My concern is your anxiety. Which means when I'm doing a session, I want to be convinced that you are in a trance and that is very easy because you can't open your eyes. So I know in a session through your body that you are in a deeper space. Okay. Now in that space, let's assume you're giving me a complete cock and bull story. Yeah. It's fine. My job is to make it a bull and cock story. Mm. I'm not concerned with the truth of the story. I'm concerned with the impact of the imagination on you. 
So once I change the texture of the imagination, your emotion is healed, your DNA is healed, your disorder is healed. So, though of course, we have volumes and volumes of work with people who have factually related past life stories. Dozens of them. I've got clients coming back with their death certificates of the previous life. Yeah, so there's no shortage of like evidence. No shortage of it. But that's not where I take my clients. That's not my focus. Okay, because my, what am I doing this for? I'm not doing this to establish the fact that past lives exist. No, I'm a therapist. So I'm going to do what it takes to get your current life back on even keel. The past life becomes a logical framework to explain to you what is illogically happening to you. And in order to get people there, that's how you use hypnosis. hypnotherapy Perfect. in order to access the subconscious. That's right. And so this is something that, I think the reason that you got into this field in the first place is because you witnessed that. I experienced it myself. So I had an illogical situation to which there was no answer. And when I found the logic through getting it there, everything started to sort out on its own. So what I, what I need, for example, is that inner logical. Like you get a lot of relationship issues where a, a woman says, my husband is ill-treating me, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea why this is happening. We do the usual jing-bang. And then some, she goes into a regression and she suddenly discovers that in another life, the roles were reversed. Which means she was the perpetrator the husband was the sufferer. And now they've mutually decided to come back just so that they can clear the slate. Immediately there is healing, there is catharsis. And the funny part is, once she gets to this understanding that I am the cause and I am the effect, the husband's behavior changes. So I've also come to the conclusion that every human in our universe is a dummy. And they are doing with us exactly what we need them to do. Why is that true? Your boss is angry with you. But he's very good with your other employees. So where is the problem? Is the problem with the boss? No. The problem is with you. You have a requirement for the boss to feel angry. Change yourself and the boss's anger will go. So I started to figure out that we don't have to fix people. We don't have to fix people outside of us. We simply have to understand what's happening inside of us. Because it's that facet that's making people do what they're doing. And how do you go about, because what I'm fascinated about as well, is a lot of people have preconditioned notions of how they should behave. How do you go about uh, kind of breaking that conditioning? And how do you help with that? Okay. Behavior comes from a belief system. Conditioning comes from a belief system. As long as a belief system works for you, gives you your desired result, there's nothing wrong with it. When does a problem arise? When you have a belief system, but it's not delivering it what you want from it. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you. At the heart of a belief system are three inputs. So every belief system, in my understanding, needs three things. First and foremost, it needs an experience that is either personal or imbibed. You cannot have a belief system without an experience. It's either your personal experience or you get it from the system. Your culture, your religion, your parents, ancestral lineage. Can you give us an example? Uh, okay. 
let's take an example of I'm scared of exams. Mm. So my belief is that if I get questioned in an exam, I will freak out. I know my matter. Yeah. But I'm I'm super scared of exams. So there are three aspects of this. Number one, my fear. So suddenly if there's an exam, my heart will go puck, 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 puck. There is fear. Why is there fear? Because I don't like to be judged. I am who I am. I don't like judgment. That's the second part of the belief system, the judgment. And the third, because it reminds me of, it reminds me of my dad always telling me how the neighbor's son is so much better than me. Mm. Now, this has made a belief system for you. Get it? So there is always an experience. Without an experience, you cannot have a belief system. Secondly, that experience must matter. So for example, if your dad said, the neighbor's son is getting 90% and you heard it and said, okay, big deal. You will never have a fear of exams. Mm. But that experience mattered to you. So there's a sense of judgment. And then it carries an emotional charge. So these are the three components in any belief system. So when I have to assist people to break out of their conditioning, I look for these three things. I look for the emotion. I look for the judgment. And then through the regression, I find what it reminded them of. So the moment you get to what it reminded you of, that's the distortion we spoke about, where you and I meet on the road. It reminded me of the fight I had with him yesterday. Okay, now over. Sort each component out and that's the end of the condition. Once those people sort those components out and that switch goes off, do they immediately change their behavior or do they sometimes come back to it? Okay. So that depends on how well the surgeon does the surgery. Okay. So for example, not only would I go to the original event, I would also trace all those events where that behavior has hurt the person. I'd heal all of that. So there is a certain protocol that I follow in it. So it's not only about going to the source and changing it. It's also dealing with its consequences fully. Yeah. So let's say with this whole fear of exams, I would take at every episode where you had this fear. Close, 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 close. So once you clean the slate correctly, then it's literally as if we've blanked the database. It's like doing an alt control delete on your computer or a factory reset on your phone. So you can delete your WhatsApp, but if you don't do a factory reset, your contacts are active. Mm. But if you do a factory reset, you remove everything of everything. Now you've got a new phone. You can start all over again. That's a good way of putting it. You also teach teachers, right? Or you teach people how to um, become hypnotherapists. Both. What is the reason that they come to you or that they really want to learn how to teach hypnotherapy? All right. So uh, I run a program. It's a KHDA uh, accredited program in Dubai, which means people can learn it and then look at taking this up as a vocational profession in this country. Um, So my program teaches people to be hypnotherapists. So we are like a medical school. We create doctors. When people get into hypnotherapy as therapists and they start healing people, they also realize that there's something in them that wants to give this knowledge to people. Then they want to learn how to teach it. Then I get them on my board as teachers and I train them how to teach it. It serves me well because as one individual, there is only X I can do. 
So I have a five module program in which I come at the end of the program just for the graduation module. I sum it all up and I have many teachers across the world who teach different levels of the program. Okay. I want to talk about inner peace and we quickly spoke about this before uh, we started recording. We live in a very sort of stressful time. And, uh, and I mentioned that I see this happening a lot in Dubai. And you said, you know, you see this happening a lot all around the world. How can people go about um, establishing inner peace? Okay. The answer to this can be as simple as you would like it to be or as complex as you would seek it to be. For People who have a good degree of common sense, the answer is, if you give the key of your happiness to other people, you are always going to run the risk of getting jacked in life. Mm. Because then, it's their mood that determines your happiness. So that's a very common sense answer. That means, my happiness will depend on you saying hi to me, or you acknowledging me well, or you giving me respect, or you loving me, or the cook making good food, or yeah. my... So if it is dependent on that, that I will feel very happy if you make a special meal for me, now the risk is you had a bad day. For some other rhyme or reason, my meal got jacked. You're not doing it deliberately to me. Who's suffering? I'm suffering because I didn't get the great meal. So common sense is that if your expectations of happiness are related to what the world does to you, you will always run the risk of getting hijacked. Yeah, That's straight. Mm. Which means you have to somehow understand this clearly, that it's not about other people. Now, if it's just about yourself, then just like I explained to you before, uh, and here we go a little bit maybe into the evidence of biology. So... The medical world has established through its research that there are four hormones in the body that are responsible for creating what we call as happiness, as a state of mind. So now we are linking the software, which is your mind, to the hardware, which is your body. And the hardware is something that's mappable. Yeah, The four hormones uh, are called the happiness hormones. And uh, I call it the daily dose of happiness. That's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphin. There's a lot of material on this on the net. So for those of your listeners who want to Google this, this is fairly simple to Google. Now, each of these hormones is released under a specific set of circumstances involving us, not involving other people. So it's not about what other people do. This is what we do. So the good part about these four hormones is it's all related to us. Dopamine gets released when we accomplish something for ourselves in life, however small or big it is. Oxytocin gets released when we meet or connect with people that we'd love to connect with. Serotonin gets released when we do things for other people that makes their life better. Mm. But it's we doing it. Whether they say thank you or not doesn't matter. You get the joy out of doing it. And an endorphin gets released when you do things for yourself that you would love to do. So my normal advice to people to not make life boring and monotonous is in each quadrant, Consciously think of a few things. So maybe five or ten things, they can be small, that challenge me to do better. Mm. Go a little beyond who I am. A little beyond. Do one thing, for example, I feel I'm just eating too much of chocolate every day. 
Okay. I'm going to attempt to cut down chocolate by 50%. You see how great you feel when you achieve that. That's the dopamine going up in your system. Something as simple as that. It's just achieving. It's just that inner sense of achievement. Mm -hmm. So it, it maps your philosophy of forever student. Because the forever student is about realizing that life is infinite in a certain context. Which also means that the only way to not stagnate is to constantly have a benchmark that you can achieve. You can go beyond where you are. Because otherwise, you run the risk of going down only. You know, when you hit Mount Everest, there's nothing more left to achieve. There's only one way, which is to come down. So dopamine ensures that you always are moving to a next peak. It can be a small peak, but you keep moving upwards. You don't stagnate. Oxytocin is about bonding and meeting people. Now, you can have different groups of people you relate to. Your family is important to you. You benchmark, yeah, I will do dinner with my family four times a week. It gives me a lot of joy. So I'm a busy corporate dude, but this is important. Now, when that comes up, I tell my boss, sorry, boss, today is dinner with the family. And you'll feel great. You feel great about the fact that you could tell your boss that I need to go out with my wife or I need to spend time with the kids. Or it can be your school friends or your club mates. So you make that little bit of conscious effort again. This is conscious living. None of this is subconscious. It's all very conscious. Then you have a list of things you're doing for yourself. You like to swim. You like to watch cricket. You like to read. Um, you like to watch nature. One activity a day. And finally, acts that make other people happy or make their life better. Aim to bring a smile to a person's face every day. Any one person. Good enough. There are people in the store doing jobs, cashiers. Simply say thank you. And you suddenly they get acknowledged and they smile. You did your job. There are so many people in our lives who are doing thankless jobs for us. Nobody acknowledges them. They're just in the monotony of doing things. So when you simply respectfully say thanks, something wakes up and you'll feel great. So, And these are very easy things to do. So this is my very simple to-do action plan to live happy. And based on that, what are kind of your daily practices? Because I know you're, you said before you're a sucker for daily practices that add value. That's right. What do you have, what are you currently doing uh, or what have you been doing for the past few years? Well, okay. So as a daily drill, I do spend about 10 minutes every morning with a couple of breathing exercises. Um, I find it very important to maintain a good energy level mm. in my system. Again, we're going maybe a little technical, but this will be of use to everybody. So what keeps you alive is, is life force, is prana, ton, you know, chi, whatever you want to call it. And this life force has two very specific components. So there's a percentage of your life force that comes from the earth. For example, from the food that you eat, the water that you drink, earth energy, earthing. But that alone is not enough to keep you alive because if that was the case, nobody would die. Yeah. You know, we could keep giving uh, insulin and we could keep giving uh, glucose injections to bodies and you'd live lifelong. So there's another component that's a little ethereal. You can call it the soul mind or whatever you want to call it. And it's both these that get together to make up your life force. Both bring different qualities. So the earth energy brings to you grounding, stability, solidity, yeah, all those uh, resilience, that comes from the earth energy. The other one gives you the ability to fly, to conceptualize, think big, Creative. go out there, creativity. So it's this blend of both things that, uh, that, that keep you where you are. So there are some simple breathing techniques 
that I personally follow, I teach that to my students, to connect to both these sources in a minute. Right. So like half a minute of gathering earth, half a minute of connecting there, getting that in the body, it keeps my body in a very high energy level through the day. So that's what I do every morning as, as a startup. Um, another very practical thing that I do, which I've also found has a lot of value, um, I realized this, this of course, took a lot of time to realize. Why is it that people around us seemingly have a lot of awareness and yet don't seem to break out of the patterns of rut that they are in? So I find that people do have awareness. Nowadays, especially with this whole new age philosophy of, uh, you know, I am my master. There's a lot of reading. There are books. There are specialists. But on a more practical level, people are not able to translate that into day-to-day -day living. Mm. So they have the intellectual answers at times, but it's not changing things fundamentally. Since I'm a hypnotherapist and I study the human mind, I realized that when we go to sleep in the night, our subtle consciousness is traveling time. We come out of the body. Yeah? Now, we will never go back to things that are complete. Because it's done and dusted. Which means when we are sleeping, our mind is going back to things that are incomplete. Things that are not sorted. So, which is why most of the times before going to sleep, we keep looking at what do I still have to solve? What will I do tomorrow? Yeah. You will never think of this is done and I'm feeling great. So your checklist is, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. So your mental program before going to sleep is the incomplete things. Now, in your sleep state, that's where your mind is going. So when you're waking up in the morning, you're waking up with the energy of the incomplete things. And then the whole day goes in the same cycle because you're still constantly catching up on incomplete things. Now, when you start the day with the energy of incomplete things, how can you ever feel happy? Because happiness comes from completion. So I figured out that one of the ways to break this was to make a conscious effort to feel happy first thing as you open your eyes. So when you open your eyes, Think of a happy memory. Think of a complete memory. Something you achieved. And that's a conscious process. It doesn't come easily. So when I wake up, the first conscious thought is joy somehow. Like anchor it something, something pleasant. Then there's another small exercise that I do because I do have some knowledge of palmistry. I used to practice it for fun in uh, my college days. So I often tell people that your left hand lines are your destiny. It's what you plan to come with. You can't change that because you planned for it. So there's nobody to blame in your life. Everything that's happening to you is your story. Yeah, you planned it. The problem is you don't know how to execute it. That's in your right hand. So with whatever changes you make, these lines will change. Your right hand lines will change. So if you anchor yourself with joy in the morning, after that, the first exercise I do is I look at my left palm and I say, I acknowledge with responsibility. That means whatever is happening in my life, my responsibility. Now that gives me an enormous sense of pride and achievement because this is my life. Nobody to blame. Where I am is my control. Mm. And that's great because the victim space goes out immediately. The yeah. moment I start saying, I acknowledge with responsibility. And then I flip it to the right hand and then comes my prayer or I evolve with understanding or I pray for resources that help me to deal with this. It's a very simple drill. It takes like 10 seconds. But it sets the mind up for tackling the whole day differently. And I suddenly saw 
that the repetitive thought patterns that were coming no longer come. So I can immediately see tails where I used to see heads all the time. So these are very simple things to do in the morning. And this is all that I do. So I don't formally meditate, meditate as such. But I do these two, three breathing exercises. I bring the energy level up. I do this small acknowledgement. And then I'm good to go for the day. How do you stick to them? Because I think, again, right before we started recording, we spoke about commitment. That's right. And um, just from me speaking to, whether it's friends or family or even within my own life, one of the things I've always struggled with was implementing new habits that I know add a lot of value to my life. Yes. For myself, it's been very practical to um, do it on a smaller scale, not necessarily implementing a hundred habits in one day and then hoping that one of them is going to stick, like being very mindful of, okay, maybe let's try this one thing for the next two months, see if it works. If not, then let's adjust it. So again, meditation is one of the things that, that's really made a difference for me. But how have you gone about uh, committing and sticking to it? Or how would you recommend that other people do that? Commitment is a discipline mm. or an attitude that gets set in your mental profile when you're approximately 10 or 11 years old. Since I teach the subject of hypnotherapy, just like your physical body has stages of physical development, your mind has stages of mental development. There are different stages of development. Like, for example, when you are just born, the first thing that develops for you as a child is trust and mistrust. That's the first thing. Which is why, for example, if you snatch things from a child, even though it's going to hurt the child, you will ruin the child's base of trust. That's one of the reasons why rattlers are given as toys. So if a child reaches out for a knife, you know the knife is dangerous, you don't grab it. You make sounds that helps the child to drop the knife and reach out. Because the child doesn't understand that the knife is dangerous. But what the child will understand is that the mother, who is my source of food and love, is snatching something from my hand. Mistrust starts from there. It's as basic as that. Wow. Okay? And then we go on a little bit to the next stage where willpower and self-control develops. So by the time we come to about eight or nine is when industry starts to develop. Either industrious or inferior. Industrious means commitment discipline, protocol, I do this, I will finish it. Inferiority means I cannot finish what I commit, I'll keep changing it. Uh, so if people have problems with commitment, it's because a part of them is stuck at that age, at about 9 or 10. So one simple regression back there, sort that out, and it's very easy to commit now. Gotcha. What are, uh, do you have any other sort of spiritual tools or, or concepts that could benefit our listeners? Okay. Uh, this may go a little over the top, but it may be a good idea to I share it, it all the same. I see Earth as a school. And it's one of many schools in the cosmos. So don't think too much about it. I think people over-dramatize enlightenment and liberation and getting out. That's akin to passing your board exams from a school. Because your energy, you will never be created. You will never be destroyed. You will continue your journey maybe in a different format, in a different dimension. So understand that Earth is a school. It has a curriculum. It's like a hostel. So every time you pop it, you go to the hostel and you come back till you will complete the Earth curriculum. Many people ask me what the Earth curriculum is about. My answer to that is equally simple. You choose Earth as a school 
when you wish to discover, experience, and master the art of creation through feelings. Okay. So it's one of the schools in the cosmos in which you can create through feeling. There's enough medical evidence or scientific evidence on that because everything in your body and by now with quantum physics, everything in your reality around you is created by your DNA. That much we know. Now your DNA is completely influenced by what you feel. So in short, 2 plus 2 equals 4. What I feel influences my DNA. My DNA influences my reality. So my feelings influence my reality. That is the earth curriculum. Be aware of that. Now, if you're aware of that, the best way to master the curriculum of earth is decide what is it that you want to feel. If you wish to feel angry, you will create realities that will generate more anger. Mm. If you wish to feel happy, you will generate realities that will make people more happy. The choice is yours. You're free to create whatever you want. So that would be the one line thought I want to probably leave people with. That you are creating through your feelings what you're experiencing. So don't look for answers outside the system. It's all inside you and you are the unconscious lord and master of your destiny. So one of the sublime tragedies of being human is that we are ignorant gods. If we knew this beyond doubt, we'd never have a problem. Wow. We're going to move to the last segment of the podcast, which is a segment called Asking for a Friend. And these are questions that have been sent in by, uh, by listeners of the show, by friends, by family. And they're usually questions that uh, people might be kind of afraid to ask, but we're going to ask them anyway. So the first one is, how can we stop stressing the little things in life and focus on the bigger picture? Okay. I have a, a ridiculous answer to that. Yeah, I love it. So, <laughs> no, I know I can go a bit uh, off the hat, but it's fine. That's just how I am. So I see people going through a lot of stress, a lot of challenges. Life is difficult you know, to do this, do that. My one simple question is, what keeps us alive? That would be my question to you. What keeps you alive? What keeps me al alive as in... Yeah, yeah, biologically. Biologically, yeah. Uh, nourishment, sleep. Most important. Breathing. Breath. Yeah. Breath. Breathing. Yeah. The most important factor that keeps you alive is breathing. Yeah. Is that easy or difficult? It's... Right now. Easy. Conclusion. Keep breathing. If what keeps you alive is easy, how can life be difficult? You have biological evidence for that. So if what's keeping you alive, and this is such a big process, is your breath, and if that is easy, why should life be difficult? So you make it difficult. You make it difficult with your expectations. You make it difficult with your projections. You make it difficult with your incompletions. So whenever life tends to overwhelm, just remember, breath, it's easy. Yeah, breathe. Super stressed, just breathe. Mm. Because breath has a beautiful way of breaking the emotional cycle. Just to give you an example, have you noticed how when you're angry, what happens to your breathing? You lose control over it. It's fast. Yeah. And when you're super chilled, see your breathing. So, so whenever you get stressed, breathe differently. 
Sure. Yeah, you're basically switch. confusing the behavior. That's right. Just switch the breath. If you can do this much, you'll break the cycle of stress. That's really good advice. And it's quick. And it's very doable. Yeah. Only breathe differently. So the moment you get stressed, just breathe differently. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a similar example before where um I, I don't know if, if if you agree with this, but fake smile. Yes. We uh, we teach that in hypnotherapy as a subject called fate comply. Fake it till you make it. That's the fake smile. Mm. That'll work, sure. But you should have it within you to fake the smile. I think it'll take a little more effort to do that than to change your breathing. Yeah. yeah? So breathing, but it will work. breathing is step one. Yes. yes. Okay. The second question I have for you is, what's the best advice you've ever received? You know, when you send me this questionnaire, this was the one that I, I normally, I, I didn't have to think what I would speak to you because yeah. I know my subject pretty okay and I can flow with it. Because I've got a lot of advice from people and nice advices, yeah? Uh, I think the best one I received which helped me personally was uh, the debts that you create in physics cannot be sorted out by metaphysical approaches. That was a great advice I got. Why? Because when I got into this work, yeah, I started to subscribe everything to the meta-real. And then somebody brought it very clinically back to me saying, dude, you have a body on earth and there is no replacement to good, common-sense, grounded pragmatism. So don't bring the subtler realm into everything. Which basically means don't overcomplicate. Don't overcomplicate it. Yes. Keep it straight. Keep it simple. Don't bring spirituality into everything and rationalize and justify things. These are things you've created through the body. You will have to pay through the body. Understand that. So all the wisdom that you seek is great. It should be there. But no replacement for pragmatism. You see a fire. Don't say, my mind is so powerful that I'm not going to get burnt. You will get burnt. Yeah? Don't set yourself up for that. Common sense has no other answer. That was a great answer because, you know, coming from my background and then I went through these amazing miracles. So it was very easy for me to float in the air. So every answer that I would give was from up there. It's all, you know, how it can go over the top. It's very easy. And there is no shortage of people on earth who are looking for that. Who are looking for everything up there. So to be grounded back onto earth, keep your boundaries. Which is also like a humility. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, for many years, my, uh, my personal tagline on MSN was mastery with humility. Because the big challenge was with all this awareness that was coming really fast, to bring it right down to the earth level and say, dude, you're no different from the person on the road. Your cook cooks better food than you. His food keeps you alive. He's your teacher. Yeah, get this clear. So just because you have an expertise in the area of the mind is not making you a greater or a better human than your driver or your cook. Honestly, these are people who make your life easy. Pray for them and wish them well. Those were the things that I got out of that approach. So I started to realize that every person who's coming into my life and contributing to making my life easy is a person worth worshipping. 
So if these are the people I can worship because they make my life easy. Imagine I have no cook. Then I got to go do the cooking. Mm. So I got to do the cooking. I can't teach the way I teach because I got to first finish that. So that brought about a huge shift in my day-to-day approach with day-to-day people. I started to see that. The last question is, what can people do today in order to increase their energy? Okay. Well, so, uh, like as I said, I do a couple of breathing practices that uh, keep the energy going. Yoga is very good for that. Any kind of stretches because your energy flow is a byproduct of meridians in your body. And your all the yoga postures that are taught are taught very specifically so that the meridian flows are easy and, and, and smooth. Beyond this, because these are more physical approaches, from a mental approach, the easiest way to keep high energy level is stay in the now. If you are present in the now, your energy level will always be boom. Which means if your energy level dips, your mind is not present here anymore. So you're stuck somewhere in time. Come back to the now. How do we practice coming back into the now? Slow down and take cognizance of your environment. Like for example, right in this moment, of course, I'm chatting with you. I'm very present in the now. So let's say I was waiting for you all to come. Yeah, and we haven't started this talk. And I need to be present in the now. Then I would slowly look at this mic, look at the pores, bring my senses in, into this moment. or I can hear the hum of the aircon. Is it a rhythm? So, yeah. In that state, your energy level will always be awesome. In presence. In the presence. So any dip indicates you're not present here. You're traveling somewhere. Bring yourself back. Before we say goodbye to you, I wanted to ask you if, can people find you online? Can people find online more information about what you do? And if so, where can they find you? Okay, uh, I run an institution. Uh, the website is www.aka.co.in uh, where our curriculum, etc. is there. I think uh, I'm not too savvy mm. in terms of social media. I used to be on Facebook many years back. I, I went off the, because now the company grows on its own. It's pretty okay. Um, I think if you Google or YouTube my work, students have put up snippets of my interviews, etc. But otherwise, uh, I'm very available to people on WhatsApp. Like I, I put my number to every person. I have about all my students are on it as well. So people are free to message me because what I believe is abundant with me is my ability to answer people. And I've realized that the key to abundance is to find out what you're abundant in. Everything else will come to you later. So if in your own life you can find any one area in which you're abundant in, and you can engage in that, I can almost bet that your life will go through a miraculous transformation. Now, that abundance can simply be giving time to somebody because you're abundant in that. Um, You're abundant, for example, in giving this awareness to people. So you're finding your zone of abundance. My zone of abundance is being able to answer questions. So when I take classes, my students are allowed to ask me any damn question under the sun. Mm -hmm. I would never stop it in saying this is outside the curriculum. So I won't stop answering till they feel they got it right. So that's that's my drive. That's okay. my zone of abundance. So yeah, you can maybe send a mail to me, approach the website. Yeah, I'm there. No what we're gonna do is we're we're gonna make sure that uh, we we share 
any sort of information on you or websites or videos, uh, I'll make sure that I post those um, when the show goes live. And uh, with that, I'd really like to thank you for your time. This has been a tremendous lesson, I think, for all of us. And I'm sure all the listeners out there, um, you added an immense amount of value to their lives. So thank you, Yuvraj, so much for being here. As I said, my first line on the show, this was a pleasure and this is an honor. I'm facing somebody who is on his way to discovering what he's abundant in. And for me, there is no greater joy than doing that. So thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. So at the end of each episode, we want to provide you guys with some key tools, actionable steps in order for you to become the best version of yourself. This episode with Yuvraj was extremely helpful and we've got four key takeaways that we want you to focus on. The first, hypnotherapy accesses the subconscious. If you're suffering from chronic disorders, if you're anxious, depressed, angry, lost, if you're facing an illogical situation in your life and need a logical answer, give this a try. You can get in touch with Illuminations through them directly or through us. Number two, establishing inner peace. Don't give the key to your happiness to other people, else it's their mood that determines your happiness. Make it just about yourself. There are four hormones in the body that create happiness, and they're all released under a special set of circumstances. Here we go. Number one, dopamine. When accomplishing something in our lives, however small or big it is. Number two, oxytocin. When we meet or connect with people we enjoy to connect with. Number three, serotonin. When we do things for other people that make their life better. And number four, endorphins. When you do things for yourself that you love to do. If you want to live a life of happiness and excitement, make a list of a few things in each of these and try to tackle each category at least once a day. Bring a smile to someone's face and you bring a smile to your own. Go a little bit beyond who you are. Challenge yourself and please let us know how you get along. The third thing we learned today, if what keeps you alive is easy, why make life so difficult? Breathing. We make life difficult with our expectations and through our attachments. So whenever it does get difficult, focus on your breath. Super stressed? Just breathe. Because the breath has a beautiful way of breaking the emotional cycle. And finally, increase your energy levels. If you're present in the now, your energy levels will soar. Slow down and bring your senses, awareness, and breath in this moment. Any dip indicates that you're not here. So return. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Forever Student episode. This show is for you, me, and all of us to learn and grow from. If you enjoyed this, please rate the podcast, comment and share with anyone that you believe would benefit from listening to this. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to me at Forever Student Show across all social media platforms. Or you can drop us an email at foreverstudent at dukanmedia.com. My name is Stefan Miller, and this podcast is brought to you by Dukan Media. Thank you all, and have a great week. 